The Daily Rios, episode 358 for Friday, September 23rd, 2016. Arrow, season two, part one. Hey everyone, this is Peter. Happy Friday. Let's jump back into some Arrow TV talk for this episode. This episode will cover the first nine episodes of Arrow Season 2 from October through December of 2013. Season 1 was covered in episode 323 and 337 if you want to catch up. And that's certainly what I'm doing with the Arrow TV show. I am slowly making my way forward to the present. I still can't watch uh, the current Arrow TV show, which kind of stinks because they're going to do all those um, crossovers with Supergirl and Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. And I always seem to find or I always seem to hear certain information that may or may not spoil a previous season. And that certainly happened with the Flash Arrow crossover that happened, oh, what would that, I guess that would have been, uh, I can't remember if that was season one or season two. Anyway, I found out some, some information that actually plays out in the current season that I'm watching, season two. So uh, that's always a bugger. But um, I'm doing this so that I can catch up and hopefully start watching Arrow in real time, although I'm moving pretty slowly. However, I have to say these episodes uh, for season two, these first nine, were, again, a lot of fun. And I'm pretty sure I'll be able to burn through the season uh, quite quickly. So at the end of season one, just to catch you up, if you maybe aren't reading it or you uh, watching it, I should say, or you don't remember uh, what happened at the end of season one, the hood is desperate to stop Malcolm Merlin, the dark archer in his quest to bring about what was called the undertaking and Ollie's mother, Moira, just about implicates herself in the scheme when she tries to warn Starling City of what is going to happen and then she is arrested because of that. Uh, the area known as the Glades is attacked and half destroyed by the Markov earthquake device, and this was set off by Merlin, killing over 500 people. Captain Lance manages to stop one of the devices, but there is a second one, and it goes off. Tommy Merlin, who is Malcolm's son, is killed in the event, uh, he's killed by some wreckage after saving Laurel Lance, uh, but he doesn't die, not before talking with Ollie and more or less apologizing for his behavior with Ollie after learning that he was the hood. And that's where that season ends. And uh, now we get to talk about season two in depth. So as I mentioned, we're going to talk about the first nine episodes, which takes us to the winter break. Now, I remarked in a previous episode how the beginning of season one seemed to move quickly. And I'm finding the same thing with the beginning of season two. There are no signs of slowing down this DC TV universe show. This isn't like Smallville, where it slowly built over a number of seasons just to move the story even a few paces. This isn't an origin story. That's what the flashbacks are for. So Ollie is able to strike out on his mission, build a team, have adventures right from the get-go. It's a full-on superhero TV show. And uh, what I like about this season is that the Arrow universe 
is quickly expanding nicely into other corners of the DC universe, uh, including going and touching on things that are from the Titans corner or the JSA or Suicide Squad. And, you know, this is no surprise to people who watch the show, but clearly it's moving into the Batman universe. And I sort of feel like this is the the way that the creators test certain waters. And I'm fairly certain that it has just come out that, um, you know, the Arrow universe was, was told that there was going to be a Suicide Squad movie and that they were given the green light to go ahead and use Suicide Squad in the Arrow show because they want to maybe test the audience, you know? It's one of the things I, I, I get uh, a little annoyed at with certain fanboys when... Um, you know, we've had Suicide Squad on Smallville. We've had Suicide Squad in uh, one of the animated movies. We've had him in Arrow, and now we've had a movie. And they they keep wanting the version of Suicide Squad to be the same consistently throughout all those different versions. And why? Why would we want that? Why would we want multiple versions of the same thing or multiple um uh, forms of entertainment that just feature the same Suicide Squad over and over again. So anyway, um, we don't get the full-fledged Suicide Squad in these first nine episodes, but it certainly is building, which I do like. Now, the reason I said, uh, you know, that we're getting even more into the Batman universe is because the whole undertaking plan from season one, it really felt like a riff on Batman Begins and... Uh, Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows and their desire to tear down Gotham. You know, all great cities must fall, right? However, with Malcolm, his motives aren't so grand, and it's more about revenge for the death of his wife in the Glades. And uh, we'll learn a little bit more about that in these nine episodes. But the idea certainly does smack of the Batman universe. So what I'm going to do is just uh, give an overview of some of the biggest ideas that have come out of these first nine episodes, and then I'll touch on some other DC TV elements and, uh, you know, maybe some smaller takeaways from each episode. The biggest idea for this season, for the beginning of the season, is that the Hood wants to change his image in light of Tommy's death, which means no more killing. And that also means for us the beginning of trick arrows, like the electric arrow, arrow or bola arrow. Um, what I like is a lot of the villains and criminals are noticing very quickly that uh, the hood isn't going for kill shots, and they really test his resolve. And it definitely comes up when he meets the bronze tiger in the second episode, and the bronze tiger is saying something to him like, uh, you know, what is this? You're not trying to shoot to kill. So it's a nice little change of pace. The good thing is, is that Ali isn't necessarily anguished by his no killing code, which I like. He's just doing it. And I'm again, I'm surprised by comments that people find Arrow so dark when, you know, he's not really lamenting, oh, I can't kill. No, he just does it. He just go, goes ahead and doesn't kill. Once or twice he saves a criminal and, and you can see him sort of thinking about should I let him fall or not? But you know what? Stephen Amell, who is certainly more than qualified to play the role, especially physically, uh, and he does a lot of his own stunts, he's not that great of an actor to be able to pull off 
uh, anguish like that. And you know what? The script isn't really calling for him to do so either. So um, maybe this is a product of me watching it um, one episode after the other right away and people who watched this series week after week and then having to wait between seasons. I don't know. Maybe they found um, that weight to be very heavy, whereas I tend to find this show surprisingly light in certain places. Another place where his uh, no-killing policy comes into play is when he breaks it, when he saves Felicity against the Count in Episode 7. And the only way he feels that he can stop the Count from doing any harm to Felicity is if he kills him, and he does it. And it kind of shows that, you know what, in times of need, he will still do so. But he won't spend five episodes worrying about what he just did. I mean, this is only the beginning of season two. He has had five years of of learning how to live his life and survive one way, and he's only had one year in the present time uh, to sort of relearn and shake off what he went through in those five years. So I'm, you know, when it happened, I was like, great, yes, sure, I totally understand it. Now, what it did do is it added... Uh, this little nugget to the Felicity Ollie relationship that is starting to build in season two. And we will talk about that in a few minutes. So, of course, with his new outlook, he's trying to shed the vigilante thing and he needs a new name. And it's hinted at at the at the end of episode one that he's going to be called Arrow. And I'm not even certain anybody really calls him Arrow in these first nine episodes, although I might have missed it. This new approach to his mission spills out elsewhere. Captain Lance, who has now been demoted to just a B-cop, has accepted that the Vigilante is a force for good, but it does take a few episodes for Laurel to jump on board, and her arc in season two, it's it's not great. Um, So she's going to go after the Hood. She blames him for the earthquake and for Tommy's death. Eventually, it turns out that she's really just running from her own fear and feels that it was her own fault that Tommy died. She turns around on the hood fairly quickly, especially because he saves her from uh, a villain known as the Doll Maker. Now, that's not the same Doll Maker that shows up in Gotham, but um, um, it is the same name. Uh, so, at the top of the season, she is working for the DA's office. She goes on a bit of a drinking binge due to all the stress on her life. Um, she's put into not one, but two potential romances away from Ollie. In other words, she is completely a background character uh, in this show. So, you know, I feel like she should be higher profile. And a lot of the writing feels very typical for a character that maybe the crew has no idea what to do with or is saving her for later, pushing her aside for... Um, other story points to build so that they can so that they can eventually bring her in and that you know we're gonna see some of that um, fairly quickly uh, as I get into some of the other story points also Roy begins to more or less work for the hood officially now so that uh, Roy can give Ollie the heads up on things that are going on in the glades he's not in the circle yet Um, And he certainly doesn't have an identity, but it is completely coming. It's so obvious. I mean, this this is a slow burn for Roy uh, to eventually become a costumed character and Thea as well, because Roy starts to train her lightly 
on how to fight uh, in an effort to release her anger about her mother. And obviously you can just tell that all this is going to wind up with both of them in a costume at some point or another. So with Ollie's mission and all his costumed life and, and the supporting cast, everybody getting a revamp, so does the Arrow Cave. It gets a tech upgrade. And with Moira in jail for her role in The Undertaking, and with Ollie's stepfather, Walter, out of the picture, Q Consolidated is under threat of a buyout by a character known as Isabel Rochev, played by Summer Glau who steps in to become uh, Ollie's co-CEO. Now, there's not much to her story at this point. I find her character annoying. It's not written well. She's not exactly the greatest actress, and uh, eventually she has a one-night stand for Ollie, or with Ollie, uh, and that, again, ties in with Felicity, again, which we will talk about later. I wouldn't be surprised if Isabel turns out to be more important than we realize later, but for now, she kind of uh, is just there to needle Ollie on the business end of things. So, of course, with Ollie returning to Star City, Starling City, excuse me, there comes a new threat for Ollie and Arrow in the form of an alderman named Sebastian Blood. And here we get a, a Titans connection, another one, um, working into the Arrowverse. So, Blood is in the show typically against Ollie's. Uh, regular identity with his wealth trying to fix the glades he tries to start a romance with laurel at the end of these episodes and he's even running for mayor and pretty on you you see signs that say blood for mayor uh, all over the glades i mean his name is blood that should be hint enough that maybe things aren't going to go well with him but you know tv we quickly find out that he's a bad guy known as Brother Blood, straight from the New Teen Titans universe, complete with a skull mask to hide his identity. Now, the mask, you know, the whole skull thing, it's kind of like the comic book version, but to me, it really feels more like how they portray the Scarecrow in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, where he has... Uh, a skull mask, but the rest of him is in a suit or whatever it is he's wearing for that day. So not the greatest look for Brother Blood, but I guess it works for TV. Now he's trying to amass an army by using undesirables to test out a, a blood formula that uh, when it's injected, these people either die or they gain strength or they have the ability to heal. I'm sure there's plenty of other things that we'll find out. Um, this brings Roy into the mix when he tries to fish out who is behind the disappearances of uh, people of the Glade, Glades, and he winds up getting injected, but he doesn't die. So no doubt this will push him, as I said, even more into the superhero career. I'm hoping by the end of season two we see him in costume. So, um, And not only will he be in costume, but I have to assume that he's going to have uh, a few extra abilities that maybe Ollie doesn't have. So maybe that means he will be one of those people that... Uh, turns the tide when Ollie is down, down and out, and in will come Roy with his newfound abilities and he'll save the day. And then that way he'll have to be uh, almost forced into the group because um, he's more than just a man now. By the way, if you know your new Teen Titans history, you can't have Brother Blood without also having a Nancy Grace-like newscaster known as Bethany Snow which Arrow does. She shows up on the TV a bunch of times, which is a nice nod to the Wolfman Perez character. 
Now, all of this blood stuff relates back to the flashbacks on the island. Uh, much like season four of Lost, there's a cargo ship making its way to the island of Lian Yu in search of something. And that something turns out to be uh, a crew of Japanese skeletons from World War II who seem to be misshapen. And that there's a secret formula that was created during that time called Mirakuru or Miracle or Miraclo, just like our man in the JSA. He takes a Miraclo pill and he gains strength for an arrow. So they've changed it to mean Miracle, Mirakuru. Uh, that's a nice little nod to the JSA. Ali, Slade, Shadow, they find the Japanese crew first. Uh, Ali finds a pendant, which is called a hosen around one of the necks. Now, this pendant, I'm fairly certain he gave it to Thea in season one when he reunited with his family after being away on the island for five years. That pendant, I assume, is probably a missing piece of the formula, and it's going to have to play a part eventually. So the cargo ship, and I totally missed this the first time I saw it, it, saw it is called Amazo, and it's run by Professor Ivo, duh. So we get a Justice League tie in there, and he wants the formula, and he's willing to kill for it. And this is when we get the next big uh, reveal in these first nine episodes, uh, when we start to add in another JLA concept and even some more Batman stuff, because this season brings in, at the end of episode one, Black Canary. Roy is the first one to see her, and then Ollie encounters, encounters her next. And I thought for sure when Roy saw her that it was Laurel. But when Ollie encounters her, she saves him from being captured by Laurel and a whole bunch of police officers. Which right away probably showed viewers, oh, then if you know who Laurel Lance is in the comics, you sort of assume she's going to become Black Canary. But she's not. And it's certainly who I thought it was going to be. So no, it's not Laurel, as Ollie quickly finds out. It's Sarah Lance, uh, the Lance sister that he took with him on the Queen's Gambit when it went down. She is supposed to be dead. This is the actress Katie Lotz, uh, who replaced the original Sarah Lance actress from season one. Now, as I said before, I thought it was Laurel. I wasn't aware that in the Arrow universe, Sarah was the first one to be Black Canary, which is a nice little interesting spin. I knew she was Black Canary because I did watch Legends of Tomorrow and there were, you know, some things I heard here and there on podcasts, but I didn't know that that was the order. And then all of this, you know, even though Ollie is shocked to see her when he finally finds out who is Black Canary, it's not because she died in the Gambit. He's not surprised because of that. It's because, as we learn later, she survived the Gambit, the Gambit uh, met Ollie on an island, and that apparently she dies for a second time. So I guess that's what the flashbacks are going to lead to, her second quote-unquote death. So how does she survive the gambit? Her story, she, her story is she, had, she went adrift after the accident. She's found by the Amazo, uh, eventually, I guess, becomes one of the crew. And a year goes by, and when Professor Ivo comes to the island, he captures Ali in search of the Mirakuru, and Ali is reunited with Sarah for the first time, however. By the end of these nine episodes, she's still with Ali on the island, so I have to assume as I watch further into season two, we will see what happens in the flashbacks that um, eventually takes her off the table, table once again, 
bringing us back to the beginning of season two where he meets her as Black Canary for the first time. So on the island, uh, Professor Ivo attacks, trying to look for uh, the Japanese um, skeletons. So he attacks Slade and Ollie and uh, uh, Shadow. Slade is burned pretty badly on his right side of his face, and he's dying. They inject him with the formula, of course, in hopes that he will live, which means this is the beginning of him truly becoming Deathstroke. Meanwhile, Shadow and Ollie are captured, and Ivy is Ivy. Ivo is going to shoot either Shadow or Sarah, and Ollie has to Ollie has to decide which one. He more or less kneels in front of Sarah, saving her, and that means the death of Shadow. Boom! Ivo shoots her, which um, I'm not sure what I expected of that outcome, um, but it makes sense. So of course this infuriates Slade. Uh, he's alive. He's healed because of the formula, and he's flipping out because he loves Shadow. And he swears revenge on whoever killed her. So at this point, he doesn't know just yet that it was Ollie's choice that saved Sarah and doomed Shadow. Now, I haven't seen any of this play out within the episode, but apparently uh, what happens after um, Sarah dies, quote-unquote, the second time is that she goes off. She gets wrapped up with the League of Assassins. I'm pretty sure she goes to Nanda Parbat. And all of this leads to uh, a new big bad within the series, Ra's al Ghul, who I think might have been mentioned on and off. He definitely hasn't been seen yet, but I get a feeling like his name was dropped maybe even in season one, but I don't remember. So Sarah, the whole reason why she's back in Starling City is because she wanted to look after her family after the earthquake, but she's really on the run from the League, And it's almost said as a throwaway that um, the League is looking for her. The child of Raj al Ghul is looking for her, which is a nice little nod that I'm assuming means Talia, but, you know, maybe not. And, of course, Sarah wants out of the League. Uh, She does reunite with her father, Captain Lance, but um, she makes him swear that uh, he won't tell Laurel. Sarah's kind of going through the thing that um, Ollie went through, that she feels like she can't be accepted for becoming a killer. It's a little similar to to the whole Tommy Hood thing. And I know that um, from watching Legends of Tomorrow, we get all of that in her character as well, where she feels really tormented by her past and her history. And I like her character a lot. I like her as an actress. I like her little story arc. I'm looking forward to seeing her in the Arrow universe now that I've seen her in Legends of Tomorrow. Um, And we learn through little hints, subtle hints here and there, that she's gay. Um, She doesn't like to watch women suffer at the hands of men. And please, do not call her a bitch, because she will kick your ass. So this formula stuff, it's in the present. It's also in the past. It's in Slade. It's in Roy. Um, We learn that Brother Blood is doing all this because he's working for someone, someone who has taken the formula and that um, who wants to build an army and will use his blood to build that army. He wants to go after Ollie. He wants to go after everyone Ollie loves. And of course, we find in the end of this ninth episode that that someone is slayed in the present, complete with an eye patch over his right eye which is a nod to the mask that we've been seeing on the island, the the Deathstroke mask that is on a stick 
right at the beach where most people come into the island, and it has an arrow through that eye. So if you needed any more hint that there's going to be a confrontation between the two in the past, um, that was it. And we're going to now get a confrontation in the present. And I like Slade in the present. That's a that's an interesting parallel because in episode one, Felicity and Diggle go to the island for the first time to look for Ali, who basically exiles himself there after uh, feeling like he failed uh, Starling City. So it's almost as if the present has to go to the past to find Ali. Well, nine episodes later, with the appearance of Slade, it's like the past has invaded the present to go after Ali, which I think is a great counterpoint thing going on. The other thing I like about all this Black Canary, Ra's al Ghul League stuff is that Ali learns that um, uh, Merlin as the Dark Archer is a much more, is a much bigger threat. He's not just by himself, right? Um, because he wears a costume as the Dark Archer that is reminiscent of anyone who is in the League. And there's a scene where a member of the League goes after Ollie and Sarah in Ollie's home, and he thinks he thinks it's Merlin, but it's not. He also thinks they're coming after him, but they're not. They're going after Sarah. So that's where everything kind of explodes. And even Diggle has heard of the League. So we'll see how the rest of that plays out in the rest of season two. Speaking of Merlin, he is still alive, of course. So the other thing that's going on during all these episodes is Mora's trial. Um, eventually she's found not guilty, much to everyone's surprise. And it turns out that Malcolm is the one who turned the tide on that. Because he learned, and we learned during the trial, that Mora has a secret and the secret that comes out in the trial is that she had an affair with Malcolm during her marriage to Robert, Robert Queen. Now, I thought it was going to be the secret that I had learned during that Flash cross crossover that I talked about earlier, but it wasn't. It just was that uh, she had an affair. But what we learn when uh, Malcolm confronts Mora, we learn that Mora and Malcolm had a child, and that child is Thea, dun-dun-dun, of course. Now, as I said, I, I knew that from the crossover, so when they were talking all the secret stuff during the trial, I thought it was going to be about the identity of Thea's true father, but it really was just about the affair. And then what's kind of nice is <laughs> then the creators of Arrow up the ante and say, oh, you know what, it's not only an affair, it's that one of her kids uh, is actually a Merlin, which I kind of wonder if they took that from uh, um, the Flash family, you know, of... Um, Impulse, the character of Impulse, that uh, he actually is related to the Thawne side of the family. So anyway, okay, I'm getting a little deep cut there. Oh, by the way, Mora's lawyer doing all of this, a lawyer named Gene Loring, which I thought was cool. Another JLA connection. Especially if you know that um, the Atom is going to eventually show up, although this Gene Loring seems a little bit older, so I don't know if they're going to be contemporaries or not. Oh, and then another thing that apparently I missed this in season one, too, uh, Laurel is working for a DA or in the DA's office, and she's working with Kate Spencer, who is uh, the Manhunter, the female Manhunter from DC Comics, which, uh, again, I must have totally missed that in season one. Now, once again, Moira proves to be one of my favorite characters on the show, one of my favorite actresses on the show. She turns around this whole secret on Malcolm because he wants to use it against her and says, hey, you let slip that you went to Nanda Parbat. And she dug a little deeper and found out 
that uh, he used to work for Ra's al Ghul, and Ra's al Ghul thought he was dead, but now knows that he's alive, and Ra's is coming for him, and that was awesome. And she says to him, you should run. Uh, such a great scene. She's such a great character. So whether we like it or not, we have the League of Assassins and Ra Ra's al Ghul coming from all different angles in, uh, by the end of these nine episodes. So yeah, so that's a lot. That's, that's a lot to go over. But uh, I, I really like everything that happened to date. And I'm looking forward to seeing how all this plays out. Now, I mentioned Ollie and Felicity, which they are starting to push here in small ways. Felicity is starting to get really affected whenever she learns about um, a new love that Ollie had. So she's known about Laurel. And then Sarah comes back. She uh, finds out that Ollie had a one-night stand with Isabel, and then she learns about Shadow. I don't know. It's a, it's a little daunting. It's a little, little forced. Um, but she's also becoming increasingly worried about Ollie as he goes off to battle. So there are all these little things that are happening, and they they talk about, um, oh, they talk about their feelings in one way or another towards each other, whether they're working companions, friends, or something more. I like Felicity. I like Felicity as a character. Um, I know fandom is torn between the whole Ollie-Felicity Felic relationship. Um, I know where it heads because of the crossover, but um, watching it develop uh, seems a little forced. But it. But what I have to say is, here it is, the beginning of season two, and it's already developing. So I don't know what fandom was like at this point, but if they're complaining by season four that they got together and they didn't want them to, well, I mean, the seeds were sown all the way back here in season two. We also have Diggle still going after Deadshot. Uh, he has an episode that's quite like a Suicide Squad mission where he goes to Russia with all of the Arrow crew to save his friend Lila, who uh, I believe he was married to at one point and he eventually hooks up with again. And through that adventure, learns about an agency known as the Hive, and we get a second major Titans villain group uh, making a mention or an appearance here on the Arrow show. So that'll be fun to see if they play out with that and uh, how that looks on the uh, TV show. And finally, perhaps the biggest moment and biggest increase within the DC TV universe, we have the final two episodes, episodes 8 and 9 of Arrow, introducing Barry Allen. And these are fantastic episodes. I've never seen him. I've never seen him before. And I'm surprised that it happened this early. These episodes were released in December of 2013, and the Flash TV show uh, wasn't released until September of 2014. And by the time the two episodes wrap up, I mean, we get the full-on origin. We get the exact... Uh, origin story as it plays out in the pilot episode of The Flash with, with him in his lab and the lightning bolt and the particle accelerator exploding. And ah, these episodes are fantastic. Now, all season, we've been getting hints of the particle accelerator. Uh, we've been getting little news clips, sometimes with Linda Park, a different actress, but uh, uh, the Linda Park character that we will see in Flash, talking about how the particle accelerator will be turned on by Christmas that eventually there are demonstrations, we get Harrison's, Harrison Wells, we get his name name dropped. And I guess that does make sense that it would have to happen, happen in December because uh, Barry was in a coma for what, like eight or nine months 
which, um, you know, kind of plays out in real time. If we get the explosion of the particle accelerator by the end of, uh, or, or at the winter break of Arrow, uh, by the time Flash's TV show kicks off, that's sort of, you know, almost nine months, if not exactly nine months. I did. I loved every moment of it. Um, Grant Gustin as Barry Allen, he's already the character that we will come to love in the Flash TV show. Um, Felicity is certainly smitten with him. He brings in a, a, a different dynamic. He, he lightens the show up even more. And again, I'm someone who finds, I don't think the show was all that dark to begin with. And what I really like about it is he, he brings in this whole aspect of wanting to be, uh, wanting Arrow to be a hero, you know, not just a vigilante, but someone who can um, inspire. He's got his whole brainy thing going on. Um, in many ways, he's almost like what Cisco is in The Flash, you know, sort of being a little bit starstruck with heroes, uh, finding things that are cool about the adventure side of being a hero. And then at the end, he creates a mask for Ollie. Um, and I assume Ollie will start wearing that mask when we come back from the winter break. So if you are a fan of the Flash TV series and you've never seen Arrow, do yourself a favor, watch episode eight and nine of season two, because they are truly the zero episodes for the Flash TV series. Um, the other thing I really like in those episodes is that they do a great job of sneaking the Flash soundtrack, uh, the, the Flash theme song, in to the episode. You can really hear it build when you see um, Barry Allen for the first time. That's such a great touch. I love that. And it's amazing at how distinct that theme song has become to my ear now. All right, we get some other DC tidbits and Easter eggs. Um, right from the top of the season, there's a billboard that says Starling City is a star city as they try to rebuild. Uh, eventually, I know that it does, I think it does become Star City. Captain Lance's call sign is DC-52. Haha, <laughs> wink, wink. During the Russian adventure with Diggle and Deadshot, they're helped out by a guy named Anatoly, who is the KG Beast. We get the first appearance of Amanda Waller in the DC TV universe, who knows Ollie's secret, and she's part of the Task Force X. One of Blood's minions, who gets injected by the uh, Blood, the Mirakuru, or a version of it, uh, his real name is Cyrus Gold, and they quote a couple of the uh, lines from the Solomon Grundy poem all throughout that episode. So again, we get some more JSA stuff. And at the end, he gets... He gets knocked out and he gets covered in something, I think the blood or or the formula. Um, so maybe he'll return as a true Solomon Grundy character later. So there you have it, my feelings about the beginning of season two of Arrow. Um, I don't think I have to go through episode by episode because I really touched on everything that happened. Uh, I liked, again, I like these nine episodes. Um, they move nicely if you watch them in order back-to-back -back fairly quickly after each other. And the final two episodes are such a great uh, segue into the winter break. A lot of the pieces are set up, you know. We, we got Deathstroke back, and he's clearly going to go after Ollie and his family and loved ones. What's going on with Brother Blood? What's going on with the mayorship of Starling City? Diggle got a little bit pushback in this uh, in this. Uh, batch of episodes, but um, a lot of the groundwork is there for him. 
Same thing with Laurel. I want to see more of Sarah. And uh, it feels like they're going to start to open up the Arrow universe to um, include some more fantastical elements um, that they may have shied away from um, in the first uh, season just to keep it a little more grounded. So if you've been watching, let me know what you thought of the beginning of Arrow Season 2. Um, and uh, I will, you know, now that I've put this episode out, I can jump into the rest of Season 2 and I will do another episode once all the episodes have been watched. I have to assume that um, the bulk of the end of Season 2 from Episodes 10 forward all the way through to, I don't know, 22 or 23 are probably one giant big story. But if I feel like there's a break in the middle of it, maybe I'll do uh, a second part and then a third part. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I have a lot of episodes to watch. All right, as always, you can reach me at peter at thedailyrios.com or leave a comment on the website. And I will talk to you soon. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 358. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.